On this electrifying episode, we cover high voltage software's The Conduit, the Wii's console exclusive FPS game. We dive deep into the fake instruments used for the soundtrack, and why is this guy wearing these radical sunglasses? All this and more on Sega Talk. Megabits presents Sega Talk, a podcast talking all things with your hosts, George and Barry. Look, it's a giant talking egg. I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to the master here. So what's Hello and welcome to this high voltage episode of Sega Talk. I'm your wagafying host, George, and with me is Nunchuck Barry. I knew you'd say that. Ah, <laughs> uh, I didn't even put that in the notes. Look at that. Wow. Off the top. I off knew the it. top. <laughs> off the top. Um, today, we're talking about the first person shooter for the Nintendo Wii 2009's The Conduit, uh, which was actually developed by High Voltage Software. Part of this episode, we'll be discussing um, kind of more of the developer, High Voltage Software, uh, because uh, they actually spend a longer time than most people think they were a studio. I feel like the most advertisement they got as a studio was under Sega and under the conduit. Uh, and, and they were part of Sega's early ambition as their own Western developer uh, or not really developer, but publisher. Like they wanted to find American companies and developers and kind of like publish games under them. And obviously, you know branch out instead of just doing japanese games um but before we get into the uh the meat of the episode uh the nitty and gritty um if you guys want to support the podcast you could check us out on patreon.com slash segabits we have a variety of tiers and one of the tiers is you get to tell us what to talk about and like this episode is obviously a sponsored episode because i personally i probably would have never covered the conduit but somebody paid and said, cover the conduit. And now right. I did a whole episode on the conduit. And now I know more about the development than I ever did. And More than this, you ever wanted to. Uh, yeah. Right? I mean, I don't hate the conduit, but also <laughs> it's not one of those episodes where I'm like, it's on my list of Sega games. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's so many Sega games, especially since I like the Japanese side. It's interesting to see the other side. Um, right. You want to talk about the uh patreon memories in this episode yeah yeah so um bobert castaneda castaneda uh picked this episode so his memories are that he remembered the hype for the conduit back in 2008 back when sega was one of the few third-party companies who gave the wii proper games this one stood out to me because of the graphics being impressive for a wii game I bought the game at launch and enjoyed every moment of the single-player campaign on the online matches. High Voltage Software made decent use of the Wiimote and Nunchuck controller. Pointing and shooting is fun, especially when experimenting with the different weapon and shaking the Wiimote to do a melee attack on small aliens is always funny to me. The only thing I didn't like about the game is the use of ASE to solve puzzles that seems like a waste of the player's time. Then adding variety to this FPS, especially with the ghost mines. I played this game recently, and it's still I still like the game overall, despite not aging well in some areas. 
I hope this game somehow gets a port or remaster. Um, I don't know. You think it's ever going to happen? Because, like, we'll talk about it, but I actually have... It kind of got a kind of a re-release uh, in 2013, and I think a lot of people skipped on it, so we'll talk about that when we get to it. But uh, what are your thoughts in history with The Conduit, Barry? Do you remember this hype train? Um, I remember the game being talked about now this this was a few years before sega bits came about so this would have been in the sega nerds forum days where it was mostly you know you me ryan aki some of the other guys um talking about this game but of course i didn't have a wii at the time so i would just kind of look at your back and forth and just kind of move along not really follow it um but i was aware that sega definitely wanted to be the ones to bring more, you know, as uh, as Bobbert says here, uh, proper games. Mm-hmm. Um, so, of course, there was Mad World, and I feel like uh, this and House of the Dead Overkill were all kind of part of that initiative to push grittier, dirtier Japanese and uh, American-developed games to the console. Yeah. I, I agree 100%. I think they were in a, like a part of this like, I don't know, an, uh, marketing initiative, I guess you could say, where like mm. they're like, actually, everyone makes crappy Wii games except for us. I the, it, There was even an interview with the guys from High Voltage. I didn't add it, but they were like sitting on the couch at Sega and they're like, like I'm going to be honest, a little bit pompous. And they're like, oh, there's no developer making good Switch games. Oh, except for Sega, of course. Almost forgetting in the end that their publisher also was making a lot. You know, like, they were making... Oh, for uh, the Wii? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And I think Capcom also made some good games. I think... um, I I agree. I agree, like... We'll we'll get into it, but, like... um, We'll get into it, but... I agree that there wasn't that many quality... And people are going to get all mad, but when we get to it, I'll, I'll give you my take on it and then we'll see if we agree but uh in the beginning of development um like i first we got to know who high voltage is uh to understand why you know the conduit is the conduit so uh, i would say that the conduit is their biggest most original ip they've ever made uh and it's still one of their most ne- well-known products as a company but the company was actually founded way back in april 1993 with carrie by Kerry J. Ganoski. Uh, so the start of the episode, let's look at some of the games before they actually got into this publishing deal with Sega. So their first game ever as a company is this com- is a game called White Man Can't Jump on the mm-hmm. Atari Jaguar, which is a legendary console that Barry really, really likes. Released in 1990. I know you don't like it. I don't uh, care is, about it. <laughs> um, I mean, I don't think we, I don't think we have it, but it, it's crazy. It's one of those consoles that, like, some people want to say it was underrated, but I'm like, I think it was rated just fine. Um, right. Um, this game was co-developed, the first game, with Trimark Interactive, uh, and it's based on the 1992 film, but coming out, like, three years after the film. Uh, people say that it's a lot like uh, that Charles Barkley Shut Up and Jam, or I don't know what it was on the Sega CD. Um, obviously not a legendary game to start off their, uh, you know, team name. Uh, it's a licensed game, obviously, but it has no characters from the actual movie, the Spike Lee movie. I think it's a Spike Lee movie. Um, 
Did, did you ever want to play a white men can jump a video game? And did you ever see the movie? <laughs> um, no, I've, I've never wanted to play a game based on it. And I, I kind of remember my like uncle or aunt watching the movie one time. And I, I was like, I heard the title of it. And I'm like, well, wow, like that sounds like a really hateful movie. Like I thought it was a movie about a guy who couldn't jump. And like everyone was like, you're white. You can't jump. You're not allowed. I've and never seen like, it. Does in the end, you know. I've never seen it. I don't know if that's what the actual plot. It could be the plot. It could be. Yeah, but right. uh, I I remember this movie always being in the like rental place. I used to have like a, a, a family owned rental place, and this, I always remember this movie there because I always thought the same thing as you. I'm like, I don't want to watch about a, a movie about a a white guy that doesn't know how to jump. It's like what? This is ridiculous. That's why. I, and I I wasn't into. <laughs> basketball as a kid you know i'm not going to be renting a basketball movie so definitely didn't see it there right, but it was wesley snipes and uh, woody harrelson yeah so, yeah yeah woody harrelson's the legendary and it actor. was directed by ron shelton oh, okay i thought it was a spike lee film for some reason I don't no know why. no ron shelton different different and then their next game, I think I put this one in here because it's their first Sega game, I guess, because it's on the 32X. It was a Super Nintendo port of Star Trek, Starfleet Academy, Starship Bridge Simulator. What a mm -hmm. title, right? Pretty short. Yeah. Um, it was kind of panned, though, because people said that it was literally like the Super Nintendo game on the 32X cart. Uh, have you played this one? No, it's been on my list of games to get for the 32X, though I don't know what the price of it is now. I'm sure it's ridiculous, just like Star Wars chess is suddenly $100. But um, I'm trying to remember, there was another Star Trek game that Sega did back on the, I think, 2600 or something, or in arcades that actually got a lot of awards mm -hmm. and appeared in the Art of Video Games book and stuff. So... I mean, maybe they were hoping lightning would strike twice with that one. It just didn't. But it's interesting. I mean, because 32X had a Star Wars game and a Star Trek game. Which I is think, well, I think this is not published by Sega. I think this is like a different company. So this is probably like the, the only thing that they have Sega related here is that it was on 32X. Well, exactly. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, their next game is actually one of their most well-known games outside of The Conduit. It's their 1999 Lego Racers. Um, this came out on Windows, Nintendo 64, and PS1. Uh, even though it's more more of their pop, one of the most popular games, it was critically panned, receiving 66% in game rankings on the N64 and Imodis, 75% on PC. I think wow. the biggest gimmick for this game I remember was that you could build your own cart out of like Lego blocks. So the idea was that it was customizable. Um, outside of that, I mean. Did you ever play, did you ever hear anyone in your in your school talking about Lego Racers on the Nintendo sixty four? Uh no, I mean I was like I guess in high school at this point, mm. so yeah, you would have gotten like made fun of if you talked about Lego Racers. <laughs> Lego Racers, yeah, yeah, I would assume. I mean, yeah. I'm sure there's a lot of kids out there that remember this. But there was actually three more Lego racing games that came out after this based on the ideas that they founded on here. And mm -hmm. I think that's why this one's more popular than, you know, for the company, right? You'll start right. noticing that there's a lot of shovelware they were working on. And I'm only picking their big games here. So you got I picked games for an actual reason. They made like 100 games. It's ridiculous. So the next big game they got was... Uh, 
<clears throat> oh yeah. So, so a- after this, they kind of did a lot of ports of sports titles. It seemed like until they made another original game, and by original I mean it's based on a license too, but it's originally their own idea behind it. And it was a hack right. and slash for Hunter the Reckoning, which is based on a t- tabletop game. And this title got a Metacritic of 70% on game uh, on GameCube and 79% on Xbox. Do you remember The Hunter, The Reckoning? Because uh, I remember seeing this cover a lot in a lot of places. I just never played it. I, I'm trying to remember. It looks familiar. But yeah, I mean, a lot of those games kind of run together in my head. It looks like... It almost looks like a like parody of what Xbox games were at the time. Yeah, right. Like a grim, dark uh, <laughs> hunter on the cover with a reminds me with of a um, cross. Gungrave and Devil May Cry and you know Shadow I will, Man. I will say that when I saw this, I kind of wanted to pick it up because at the, in this era, I was like really into like Champions of Norrath and those kind of hack and slash like uh, mm. sit down couch multiplayers. So I'm like, ah, I've never played this one. Maybe I should try to go pick it up. I haven't looked it up. I'm, I might be afraid of the price because random games get randomly inflated, right? Um, well, you know, if Star Trek, I checked Star Trek 32X is selling for $60 as a cartridge and, a, and over 150 complete, which is bullshit. That, that thing used to be nothing. So I'm afraid Hunter the Reckoning... These are always fun to do. Is selling oh, for nothing. Oh, you're good. Twenty bucks. Woo! All right, maybe I'll pick it up. And the Xbox Series S has been getting cheap, so maybe I'll, you know. Well, I oh, don't there's know a sequel back. too. Yeah, so yeah. you can get both games. They did sequels, for like yeah. thirty bucks. Combined. Yeah, it's not bad. They pro- they're probably not the greatest, but I'll I'll I'll, I'll put them in my collection. And. Um, so let's talk about more of their licensed game. After Hunter the Reckoning, I picked three licensed games they created. And if you have any opinions in these games, um, you can go ahead and say them. Mm. Um, the first one is The Family Guy, the video game. You probably remember this one. <laughs> um, they made that one. Um, hey, from Lois. 2K. Hey, Lois. Oh, uh, Peter. Peter. Uh. Peter, you remember the time you win? Uh, yeah. Yeah. This reminds anyway. me of that time that we... Uh... <laughs> It's the whole game. Green it's... Green Hill Zone and uh, fighting Dr. Eggman. <laughs> yeah, literally it's the whole game, right? It's just like, hey, Peter, remember that time? And then the level starts up. <laughs> right. But yeah, they did, a, they did a family guy. And you know what? I, I actually kind of always been into these like the Simpsons. Uh, the South Park game is probably the best, to be honest. Like a best representation of what the show is as a video game. Um, the Simpsons had some really good ones too, hit and run, obviously, and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Yeah, 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 and there was um, the Simpsons game was very good, hit and run was very good, and then I'm trying to think there was a South Park racing game on the Dreamcast and N64 that I thought was all right, but yeah. Chef's yeah. Chef's Lug, Love Shack, which a lot of people kind of shit on, that one actually is like super true to the game because it's like or the the show because it's actual show animation, it's just like a quiz game. But yeah. I always thought that one was, was all right. And then the Futurama game, you want to talk about rare Xbox games. That thing sells for like 200 bucks plus now. And I didn't even know there was a Futurama Xbox game. So oh, now... I have it. I bought it Ooh. used for like 20 bucks before the big, the big boom. Good pickup. Good pickup. It's good. Was... It's good. Um, have you ever played the Family Guy game, though? I want to now. Now I, I kind of want to. Yeah, now I kind of <laughs> want to just like – we should just collect like uh, – 
American cartoon video games like, oh, what do you got? I got the itchy and scratchy uh, weird uh, Genesis game. That's the only thing I play now. Um, oh, it's super Krusty cheap. I, I, I believe it probably wasn't the greatest. I don't know what the Metacritic is, but I'm sure yeah, it's probably worse. It's too hot for TV, though. And Oh, there's a sequel, Back to the Multiverse. They had a Xbox 360 game. I don't know if that was made by them, but no, yeah. Um, they also did Harvey Birdman, Attorney at Law, which is literally them just making – you have it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, I was going to say uh, it's literally them just making fun of uh, that uh, Phoenix Wright video game, which I actually yeah. really like. Yeah. Uh, I thought they did a really good job with this one. I remember liking it back then. I don't own it, but I remember playing it and thinking it was pretty funny. Street um, Fighter characters cameo in it too. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. I bet it's probably rare because it's a Capcom game. I feel like Capcom is one of those like publishers that like their 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 games just shoot up, you know. Um, I don't know. And I, I and I like this show. It's a really good show. It's a really good era of t- TV. I wish they would make more. It's twenty uh, bucks. It's not an no. expensive game. Yeah, but no, That's it's good. a great show. And actually, uh, there was a recent like last year there was um, Bird Girl had a show. But mm. I don't think it's from the same creators, and it's not good. Like, I watched oh. it, and it was weird because I'm like, the animation seemed the same. It had some of the returning characters. There were no, like, classic cartoon character cameos. There was so much, like, dialogue. Like, I was like, God, they're still talking. Like, can we – anyway, I mean, this isn't a Harvey Birdman show, but, yeah, it's it's a shame. But this this is – if you like Phoenix Wright and if you like Adult Swim shows, like this is probably the best like Adult Swim show video game out there. And I know there's like this uh, Aqua Teen golf game. <laughs> oh, they did have one. I didn't know so, that. Yeah, um, Aqua Teen Hunger Force, like a 3D golf game. They also did a game we talked about not that long ago. Um, you remember us talking about Astro Boy? Wow. They did mm. Astro Boy the video game after the good Sega games came out. They did the 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 crappy movie tie-in one. Uh, I mean, it's not as nice. I mean, we talked about the uh, Treasure one, which is really really good. <laughs> they did they, they they followed it after. You know, they're like, here you go. It's like, it's funny because when I did the notes for this, I accidentally put the PS2 uh, Sonic Team one because I feel like the most popular Astro games, Astro Boy games, are the Sega ones that they published so it's funny that we're talking now we're looking at this one and obviously we said last time we didn't play it and i don't think i want to play it but i just added on here because it was a tie into that our astro boy episode Mm -hmm. um so what is your opinion with their software i mean it really shows you what they were before sega took over at this point we went from 1995 all the way to 2009 yeah, I mean, I don't know. I've always kind of had a soft spot for developers like this who mainly focus on licensed games. Um, I honestly, if if I were to get into video game development and publishing and stuff, I would focus on this because it's an easy, it's a much easier job to take on a license and make a game with a built-in fan base than to be like, we're the new guys on the block and we want to create a brand new IP that's going to be big. You know, and you're kind of out there on your own. It's very difficult to actually establish that. So, um, I don't know. I think it's I think it's admirable what they did. I think some of their games are very good. I think some of them are mm. not. But yeah. in the end, it seems like they were successful. So they, they were releasing like literally 
one year five titles i think that year they released the the conduit they did this astro boy game they did like three other ones and the conduit at that year so mm-hmm. they were kind of like that uh uh alex kid friend uh you know people oh. where they were just like pumping them out like quickly a sweatshop. Yeah, yeah a sweatshop yes and in between they did some self-publishing before sega they uh they published some WiiWare games when WiiWare was a you know was popping um they did a vip casino blackjack gyro star and high voltage hot rod show which is like a racing game uh so it's safe to say you know they did a lot of titles uh i said they did five one time in one year so a lot uh mm. what is your opinion on the short-lived WiiWare exclusives that a lot of smaller publishers got in early and abandoned later on in on the Wii. One of the past episodes, we did talk about Prope, Prope and their uh, Wii Wear titles on Sega Talk number 76. So we do talk a little bit more about them over there. But what is your thoughts on all this? Like, yeah, I mean, it's it was a kind of a fad. It was, mm. uh, you know, it's unfortunate, though, because so much of this stuff's lost to history. Like, it's just like um, very early um, App Store games where they just don't work anymore. Like, even the uh, Jet Set Radio HD port, which does not feel that long ago, no longer functions on my phone. And I'm like, really? Gave you guys five bucks for this? It doesn't work anymore? I mean, at, at the very least with the Wii, you can return to it and play these games. But it's unfortunate, I think, that a lot of this stuff just kind of like is inaccessible now. You know? Yeah, and I think the weird part was that like everyone was like, "Oh, this is gonna be the next Xbox Live Arcade," and like it just like no one made games after the first two years. They were like, "Oh, oh, I guess people aren't buying digital games on Wii," um, and then they just like started doing some other stuff. Like instead, they would be making like those cheap like um, M and M weird licensed game mini game collections, so they could put them right there at the store right when you check out. Right. Yeah, that's what I felt like. They were like, oh, we could just package it and sell way more at the store. And I, I think that's what a lot of people started doing. But yeah, it was weird. But yeah. According to a Q&A with High Voltage's CEO, no, COO, cool. uh, Conduit started development as early as October 2007. High Voltage at this time was not just working on a first-person shooter, but was also working on their own engine called the Quantum 3 uh, engine. Scott Williamson talked a bit more about this engine uh, to IGN back in 2009 to promote the Conduit and the engines, which is the engine's debut game. Uh, he said, Quantum 3 is on the Wii, PS2, PSP, and PC. It is also is also used to support the Xbox, but at, at that time it was already going out of the way, you know? Uh, mm-hmm. he, I'm going to be honest with you. A lot of the stuff they talked about in their interview, it sounded like a, like a snake oil salesman trying to like sell you something that like you don't need and calling right. it unique. So it's like, not to sound too repetitive, but the greatest strength is that it's abstract and data-driven, which allows us to effic- efficiently create content that can be shared across platforms. While this alone isn't necessarily unique, its implementation is. It's highly efficient on each platform, but orthogonal uh, from the point of view of game programmers, artists, and designers. The shared Hmm. content isn't limited to textures and models either. It includes everything, maps, regions, navigation data, collision data, UI, movies, audio, and even game logic. 
It really enables high-voltage software to quickly make high-quality games of any type on multiple platforms. It's also extendable. Uh, we can add new features and even platforms to the engine, which, I mean, mm. like, I mean, isn't that the game engine that you're, it's supposed to be, you know? Like, everything they, they, they kind of ex explain is just like the typical game engine. It's like, yeah, you could make, you could program and put art in it. Yeah, all right. Um, <laughs> well, today, I mean, I think it's also during the era, you know, when they were trying to sell it uh, back then. Uh, we didn't have a lot of engines like we do today. Like now we have the RGG Dragon engine and Capcom's Resident Evil engine. Uh, back in the mid-2000s, it was sort of open season, especially since like Epic Games literally just launched their uh, Unreal 3 in 2007. So this is a couple years after that. Right. Uh, so it's funny to see interviews and articles. IGN had a series of articles based on their engine during the time. Uh, while I personally think Sega's interest in working with high voltage was because of their engine and probably the price of making games, uh, do you think gamers care too much about engines, like when they buy a game? Um, I mean, in our own little Segabits Discord, I know there are people who are big fans of like the Hedgehog engine, um, oh, yeah. and then of course the RGG Dragon engine. So I think once you become aware and accustomed to the types of games then when you're like oh it's running on this engine well i like that game so it should run similarly but still like the concept of an engine for a majority of gamers even myself at times is kind of like oh you know kind of it's like when they talked about the emotion engine on ps2 i was like what does that mean like they cry like what is that <laughs> you know Wait, was it, wasn't that like a chipset or something i don't know man so, right so weird. but in this in this case, the, I think he's more selling to the likes of Sega when he's talking about this because obviously it would be great to be able to cro release cross-platform games, and they did, but so did a lot of other developers because I, I really feel like we, PS2 and PSP, were always bundled together. If a game released on one of those, they released on all of them. You'd have it for Harvey Birdman. You'd have it for... Um, unrelated to them uh indiana jones and the staff of kings but it's like don't you want a big indiana jones games on xbox and like ps3 and it's like well no because we developed it for this engine that really only plays well with Wii psp and ps2 so it's it's like at that in that era there really were like games that either appeared on x uh, ps3 and 360 or Wii ps2 and psp and i feel like by and large, High Voltage were more the Wii PS2 PSP developer for a while. Mm. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, I, I agree like with Like with Sonic saying. Unleashed, you mm. know? Like in that case, that was a game that had two versions. One for Wii and PS2 and then one for 360 and PS3, so... It was a weird era where like you, everyone wanted to make money on every platform, but then like you had to put so much money into the ports that like you literally remade the game. Right, and sometimes like either you would remake it one to one or make a completely different game. So I've actually recently been going back and buying games that I thought were straight ports, and I'm like, oh, it's a completely different experience. <laughs> like um, the Ghostbusters video game actually released to the Wii. And I think PS2, but it's the same story, but cartoony character graphics and different style of gameplay. And I'm like, oh, that's really weird. And, you know, like, I don't know. I will it's a say, strange time. 
I will say that it's a little sad that this engine actually never got port. Like this game never got ported to anywhere. Like on the PSP, P- whatever the, they listed here. Exactly. Uh, yeah. PS2, PSP, and PC or whatever. Like that was my thing with it. It's like, oh, so you guys made all these tools to cross do all this stuff, and then you guys were like, oh yeah, we're not gonna we're not gonna port this game anywhere. This is a Wii game. It's like, oh, all right. Why show off that? I don't know. Um, while they talked jibber-jabber to impress us, the engine did allow mapping, uh, bump mapping, reflection, refractions, gloss, and detail mapping with the goal of making Conduit a competitive visual experience to the PS3 and Xbox 360. Um, I, I mean, I'm going to be honest with you. The Wii is so weak. Like, it's literally running at 480p while other games are running at, like, 720p and up. That's right. a big difference in the way that the image quality is. So we're going to look at a couple of images. Uh, some of these games are games that came... All these games are first-person shooters that came out the same year as The Conduit. And I kind of feel bad for The Conduit because I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, it was uh, 2009 was a big year for first-person shooters. Uh, and I will say that The Conduit is probably the best first-person shooter on the Wii. Here we have a couple alien uh, and some environments of the conduit. Um, as you can sell, tell, like there is like this shiny kind of uh, weird mapping on the characters that makes them kind of look more like a PS3 game than a Wii game where they were more flat textures. So there is a lot of work here. Like the lighting has real shine, but the environment is flat like you would expect in a, like Xbox game, I would say, like first person shooter. Mm. So it's like a mix. They they tried their best, but I think, you know, it is what it is. And here next, we have Modern Warfare 2, which is considered one of the most one of the best graphical games on the Xbox 360 came out that year, which crazy. Look at the difference. Obviously, it's kind of hard to compete when you have a Xbox 360 power behind you. And then the next one after that is um Halo 3 ODST. As you could tell, environments look amazing. Um, and then the last one is uh, Killzone 2 on the PS3, which is so weird because it looks like somebody ran it on a Instagram filter and they're like super dark and gloomy. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like yeah. it, al- it almost feels like you're wearing a helmet while you're playing, which in the game you are supposedly. So I guess maybe that's what they thought about. I don't know. It looks like or the filter they put when uh, someone's in Mexico on a TV show. Like they just put that weird filter. This is it. Um, so, I mean, do you think competitively they, it competes with the PS3? I mean, the PS3 and Xbox, I mean, the 360, cause I think it's hard to compete against something that's like 20 times more powerful than your, your thing. Yeah, no, it definitely is not competing with them, but it, at the very least they're offering a similar experience on the Wii. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I'd have to imagine anyone playing a first person shooter on the Wii, owns another console back then so for sure. i don't think it was so much like let's draw people over to this console and so they don't buy a ps3 and it's more like you know like your little brother has the wii and you have your ps3 or and then you're like oh this conduit game looks cool can i borrow your your wii little bro you know <laughs> and introduce it to you you know i mean yeah and, yeah and, yeah and I think uh, at this time, there was that big movement, remember, where everyone's like 360 and Wii or PS3 and Wii. Like everyone wanted a Wii, but they also wanted an HD console. So it was like 
the Wii sold like 80 million units just because everyone bought it as a supplemental console. There you go. That's what I did. Yeah, I was 360 in Wii. Yeah. Same, same. I mean, I, there was a lot of Nintendo games that were really fun to play with family, and they, it was like a totally different experience on the Wii than you would be able to get on 360 and PS3. So I think they did that right back then. Um, let's talk about... Oh, so outside of this, a lot of high-voltage interviews obviously focused on the idea that the Wii had low-quality software, especially amongst games aimed at adults. There was a very big discussion at the time uh, period about the Wii being casual friendly at the time. Uh, Sega used this avenue to uh, have a full line of M-rated games uh, to keep their brand in the forefront of Wii. uh, They they make cool Wii games with (laughs) games like The Conduit, House of the Dead Overkill, and Mad World. Um, We did a Mad World episode, actually, so... Uh, but while the the conduit uh, talked about it, the game was actually rated T for teen. I, I, for the longest time, I thought it was rated M. I don't know why. And mm. uh, so it's not a mature game compared to other ones. But uh, what is your overall idea of games having violence and Sega cutting that lane to try to get in front of the crowd? And are there any non-Sega mature games you enjoyed on the Wii? Or non-Sega mature games, sorry. Ah, hmm. I mean, I I think it's smart of Sega because when people talk about mature Wii games, I think they always bring up Sega's titles. I don't think they bring up The Conduit. Mm -mm. Um, It's usually Overkill and Mad World, but it is is part of that kind of more teen, adult-focused family of games. Um, As far as non-Sega mature games on the Wii, I don't really think I can think of any. None come I, to mind. I have a I have a few that I actually like. Uh, I think the Death Space Extraction game is pretty good. Um, I'm trying to think of. It. There was a Resident Evil Umbrella Chronicles game that was like a a, a light gun shooter that I really liked. Sega was the king mm. of light gun shooters on this on the Wii, like period. But that one's yeah. a good supplemental game to have because it, it's uh, originally made for the Wii from the ground up compared to a port. Um, so was uh, How's the Dead Overkill, but. Um, outside of that, oh, Sin and Punishment 2 is really good by Treasure. Uh, very mm. underrated. Sold like one copy, probably. Um, so those are pretty good games. There was a lot of mature games, but I feel like you were right. Like, um, most gamers remember, uh, the mature titles from Sega, like Mad World, obviously because of the art style. Overkill because it cursed every single second. <laughs> um, so yeah, I definitely do agree with that. Um, High Voltage, at this point, really wanted to make the next Halo. And I think this is like uh, on the Wii. I put the Switch on here, but I know the Wii. And they thought they had a lane to make a high-quality original sci-fi shooter with the Wii motion controller. But uh, most lists I saw online on like the best first-person shooters, a lot of them actually did not have the conduit in it. Um, a lot of the, the top three FPS games are usually considered to for people... Red Steel 2, the GoldenEye remake, and Metroid Prime 3 Corruption. I thought I forgot mm. that Metroid Prime 3 came out on Wii. It's been that long, and they're still working on 4, but all right. Um, what is your thoughts on the state of Wii FPS games? And did you play a lot of uh, FPS games on the Wii, like when they were coming out? Did you even care? Was that something you cared about at the time? Um, You know, I've never really been big into FPS games. Uh, I I played Goldeneye a little bit, like at friends' houses, but I I always 
I never really gravitated to them. Um, I don't know if it's because of the culture behind them. Like when I see people playing them, it just doesn't seem like my thing. I don't really know what to say about them. Like I recently I was watching like some kids play Fortnite and it just seems so like mind numbing to me. It's like, you got to build something, build something, use Spider-Man, jump, fly. Okay. Shoot him, what? kill him, kill him. Well, and I'm you, like, had, you had me at use Spider-Man. <laughs> I just like, what? And I'm just, I don't know. And it's not even an age thing. Like I've just never really been that into first person shooter games. And I think it's because as we look at some of these screenshots, it's just straight up like realistic, gritty war shit. And like, I th honestly, I think it it kind of um, glorifies that, and mm. I think it's kind of gross that so many people get so excited for the next Call of Duty, mm. and I don't know if it's like a bro culture behind it, but I just think it's super gross. It's one of the things I hate about video games, actually. So, But I will say, now that I talk about all that, Halo is the one video game, first-person shooter, I like actually really enjoyed and probably played the most and by the most i mean more than six hours <laughs> which is a lot for me yeah um and i actually really enjoyed multiplayer halo I... so i think once it shifts into uh sci-fi and there's a, a level of disconnect from reality there i like it but when it's like oh i was playing the latest call of duty and you go to kosovo and you're shooting i'm like mm. yes. especially with the shit going on now like yeah. really I don't know. That's me. Uh, yeah, I haven't been into them either. Like you said, when everyone had GoldenEye, right, on the Nintendo 64, and all my friends would always be like, hook up four controllers, let's all play, and like spend the night. And I'm like, I, I want to play a different game. I want to play a racing game, something. <laughs> and it was always back to GoldenEye with everyone. And I was like, I don't want to spend the night at your house for 12 hours to play a game I absolutely do not like. I, I, it's not <laughs> a bad game. I did have fun sometimes, but like just first person shooters is like, Oh, you shot me. All right. Um, I'll come back. It's like, I, I just personally never found got, got too much into them. I don't know. Maybe it's mm. just me. Maybe it's just not my type of games. Uh, I will say that sometimes I do enjoy some of the, uh, single player stuff. Like you said, Halo, I really enjoyed that with co-op when you played it on legendary and you guys mm. were trying to figure it out. Like, I actually like the co-op versus the computer where the computers are really hard and then you guys are we're trying to figure out things, you know, like I'm going to get behind the car and you go over there and distract him or something like that. That's fun. <laughs> that right. I consider fun, yeah. Um, so there is aspects of the first-person shooters. Wolfenstein, the original Wolfenstein 3D, I really like. Uh, Dark Doom. Forces, uh, Doom. So, you know, I like those when it's a little, like, disconnected from reality. Those are fun, but... But you don't want yeah. to be uh, fighting uh, as uh, Ukrainian soldiers in the border of Kviv or it, anything. <laughs> and, and it kind of sickens me that in 10, 15 years, there will be scenarios in wars going on right now. And people are like, oh, yeah, do that campaign. I'm like, people actually died. You know? like... <laughs> yeah, I'm good. Um, so one of the big selling points uh, from Sega and High Voltage was that the game would have a full length single player campaign which it did it had nine missions uh clocking in at six hours of gameplay which isn't bad a uh, bad length at all even though it sounds like a bad length mm -hmm. uh, especially considering with the competition that year which was modern warfare 2 had a story of four hours halo 3 odst about six 
And Killzone 2 had the longest one at seven and a half hours. I actually beat Killzone 2 and all... Actually, I haven't beat ODST, but I did beat Modern Warfare 2. And I was like... I always thought, like, that's it. That This is what everyone's like... Like, that game was, like, hyped like it was the next coming of Christ. You know what I mean? And I'm like, oh, mm -hmm. that was it? Okay. It's just a bunch of, like, weird Jack Bauer scenes put together where they're like, nuke, nuke. And it's like, oh, all right, dude. Uh, it was all right. <laughs> it was all right. Um, so what is your opinion on the lengths of single-player campaigns? Uh, I mean, like... Should they have to be 20 hours long with upgradable weapons? And uh, like, to me, they're just like shooting galleries. Like that's what, that's why I get bored of these kind of games. Sometimes they just feel like the guys stand in front of you, you shoot them, you get another weapon, you shoot them with another weapon. Right. I, I think with these games, their bread and butter are the multiplayer. Mm -hmm. So to do the story mode, I think it always should be short ish. I think six kind of seems like a sweet spot. Um, like with Halo, obviously everyone's going to play through the story mode because they're really into the story for Halo. But you have to imagine it's like watching a movie or a miniseries. And so in that length, makes total sense. I don't, I, I would never play, I mean, I, like I just said, I'm not big into first person shooters, but I would never play a 20 hour one. Like that would get so boring. I don't think there would exist a 20 hour first person shooter that is good, you I... know? <laughs> I will say that uh, the new Doom game, actually, they kind of, well, you know what? They do something funny in the game because they actually have actual bosses with moves. So they took stuff from, like, I would say Dark Souls or something. And then they actually have exploration where you could, like, it's an part platformer. So you're, like, trying to figure out secrets. Like, things like that, when they're really well designed, it could work. But, like, very few games do that. Like, like I would say that the new Doom games are actually a, like, oddity in the first person mm. genre like that there's very few but like i agree a lot of them are like you said yeah it's not something you play for the story like i have a lot of friends that play every single call of duty game none of them could tell me the story of any of the games they never play it they just go straight into the multiplayer they don't care it's like it's whatever right so um let's read the setup to the story i'll put some chilling chilling i'll put some music in the back while you uh read the setup for the story, it is kind of long, and I apologize, but you, you know what? It's not my fault. It's the developer's fault. So, uh, Barry? <laughs> you, you apologize to me? All right, here we go. Uh, the Conduit takes place in 2012 in Washington, D.C. On March 19th, the city has an unusual weather system over the east, east coast, coast of, of the, the U.S. US. Many, Many rivers increase their water levels. On April 19th, a flu-like illness known as the bug or Oof. the bug, Captain uh, Trip. because of this, yeah, well, we all get the bug. Uh, because of this illness, many members of governments and staff stay at home. Hey, good for them. In hopes of not being infected, on June 21st, it's reported the number of missing citizens has reached a record total of 1842. So many specifics. Right. <laughs> on June 26th, Dr. Allers Drinley a renowned doctor of virology, isn't this Fauci, was yes. tasked to create a treatment for the bug. On June 29th, a UFO was spotted hovering over Washington, D.C. On July 19th, it was made public that Dr. Fauci disappeared the previous day. On July 27th, Mayor Arnold Ferguson made a statement about urging citizens to drink bottled water as the bug was thought to be in the water supply on August 1st. A citizen by the name of Michelle Arlen claimed to have been abducted by aliens the previous week. 
while walking by the Jefferson Memorial on August 9th, there was an attack on the Washington Monument by detonated explosives and ID cards used in the attack were stolen from the Pentagon while some Pentagon officials were recovering from the bug. On August 30th, it was announced <laughs> that the threat level remained red for the third week since the attack on the Washington Monument. And on September 11th, oh boy, uh, presidential candidate Senator Harriet Reamer was assassinated by terrorists posing oh, as her own Secret Service detail. On October 1st, a Secret Service member named Michael Ford was recruited to the Trust as he saved President Charles Thompson from an assassination attempt and he was only the only Secret Service agent who didn't turn against the president. The, ci the citizens of D.C. are evacuated by Homeland Security. The trust commander, John Adams, with permission of the president, sent Ford on a crucial mission to track down a supposed terrorist and retrieve a stolen trust prototype. Jesus Christ. Right? What do you, it's like, uh, it's like, um, I don't even know what to say. It's like, check all these things. It reminds me of like, I just read the, uh, the stand not that long ago. And it's like, they'll have, he'll, Stephen King will have chapters result on this day. This happened and this day. this And it's like, wait, did you guys read the stand? And they were like, we'll make it with bugs. Um, so they reminded me a lot of that, like the dates and the exposition. It's funny that the president of the United States here, they say that the, he beat, Barack Obama and um, who's the other guy running? Uh, McCain. And he became the president. Michael, I think it's Erlen or something like that. And I was like, oh, so they actually do use some real world ideas. So I'm assuming a lot of these like, oh, is this Fauci? Well, Fauci's like, it's hard to believe, but the dude is like 100 years old. And like the dude, <laughs> and he looks like he's in his like 60s. So yeah, he's been around for a long time. It's um, weird. Um, the bad guys on here are like, the bugs, I guess, or insects or whatever they are. I don't know. Um, while artistically the conduit does stand out from other shooters story-wise, it is pretty much the basic unknown invader uh, comes to Earth, like the Covenant on the Halo or the Hellgast in Killzone 2. Uh, what is your thoughts about the setup story for the conduit? Does this make you want to play the first single player more? No, no, <laughs> no. Okay, it's a it's a lot of like weird. Like they want to be like they also have a lot of conspiracy theories and the like funneling the idea that the government is like uh, secret shady organizations and all this other stuff. And you know what? To be honest with you, it's crazy that all that stuff is like popping right now. Everybody, you know, there's like a whole spectrum of people talking about conspiracy theories and like spending hundreds of hours discussing stuff that's made up in their head, basically. Um, so it's, I think the, uh, conduit could, I don't know. It's more relevant. It's a little relevant. I would say now, I think they knew the, these weird people in the, in the fork. I think a lot of people did like Alex Jones, you know, and all that. Mm. So, yeah. And, and, and uh, we'll, t well, right here. One thing that the conduit always showed in promotional material was the all seeing eye. Another thing of conspiracy theorists is the uh, Illuminati, right? Mm. Or the ASE, which, uh, our Patreon said he didn't like, but it was like literally on the cover of the game. So it's a big thing, right? For sure, it's a highly advanced design uh, device designed to universally cipher. Uh, it emits a beam of light and can be used uh, for different things like doing puzzles, uh, decoding hidden messages in the alien language. And they actually have a alien alphabet for this game that actually translates to English. 
And I'm like, all you need is that little like transcoder uh, strip, and you could you could transcode anything in the game. You don't need this uh, all C and I. Just need a brain. Uh, the device is really. Uh, it, it it basically to me was like a copy of Metroid Prime, uh, the the scan visor, where in two thousand two where they, uh, but in this one they also used it for multiplayer. Which let's talk about multiplayer because it's a big deal. So here's the tragic part of this episode. You can't play the multiplayer game anymore because it basically if you try to boot into it, you have to connect to Nintendo's Wi-Fi connection, which is got closed. On May 20th, 2014, uh, the title doesn't feature split-screen mode for multiplayer. Uh, and according to high-voltage software, they wanted to add a offline LAN ability for multiplayer, but Nintendo mm. persuaded them not to do it. I'm assuming so more people can get on their online service. Uh, that was what they said to Nintendo Power during an interview. At first, the game promised 16-player matches, but later was reduced to 12 uh, the game uh, was one of the few games to support Nintendo's We Speak per- per- Peripheral, which was mm. only one of the 13 games that did it. Like, 13 games supported this thing. And uh, have you seen this thing before, dude? Never. No. Yeah, this thing is ugly, dude. Like, it's supposed to be Nintendo's voice chat feature. They released it back in 2008. It's a USB device that you connect to your Wii, and then you put the sense, the speaker or the mic on top of your uh, Wii bar, or whatever it's called. And according to Miyamoto, it's supposed to clearly capture many different voices being spoken in the room at the same time and convey them over the internet. Um, it's like it's a microphone, right? Yeah, it's just a microphone that connects, <laughs> and they made it like they just literally made their own custom microphone, right? Like they couldn't just do a headset, right? That just gets your voice that Xbox had. They had to make their own custom like microphone that you connect through the back, and it has like this big old block, and then it has the the, the mic, right? My thing is like, and it's supposed to capture everyone in the room's voice, and it's like when I play games. I don't want to hear the people in the background. I want to hear the guy playing with me, right? So right. I, th- I think it's a stupid idea. But what is your opinion on this idea of like the whole room being able to talk to people on the internet instead of just the one microphone that we have personally, you know? It reminds me of the Connect, which did that. Um, and I think didn't the Wii or the PS3 have something like that too but yeah it is a strange concept where it's like okay cool Miyamoto like my mom can walk by and talk to my friends while I'm playing the conduit yeah like, <laughs> like she's like Barry you, why don't you pick up after yourself uh mom I'm playing the conduit with my friends exactly please yeah like and it's like uh donkey just did a video where he's playing fortnite and there's like little kids basically it's the whole joke of the video is that only little kids play fortnite and they're like screaming in the background and stuff it's like nobody wants to hear kids it's like especially since this is a kid console kids are the most annoying thing ever we don't want to hear them in the background (laughs) period so yeah stop so since we can't play multiplayer and there's literally only two videos on the internet showing multiplayer i'll play one of them in the background while we talk about the multiplayer and to be honest with you it seems very basic very like nothing new or original behind the uh the idea of multiplayer so hmm. multiplayer for the conduit 
was a uh, I, I, it had like a free for all mode. It had a team matches mode where they, which they called Team Reaper and Team Objectives, which had kind of like capture the flag, but with an ASE, for example. Um, free for all, which is basically you go in there and you don't have no team. It's just you versus the whole game. Uh, they had six different modes, which was quick match, which we know what it is. You you know. Uh, marathon, which the player with the most kills at the end of each uh, of each match wins. Three strikes, players only have three lives. Last man standing, player uh, players only have eight lives uh, and have eight minutes to win. The last man standing in the end wins, or the time runs out with the most lives. ASC football, which uh, adds player who holds the ASC the longest wins, which is the all CNI. <laughs> Bounty Hunter. Each player has a target and they must kill for points. You lose points if the player ki- kills the players that are in, our, are in your targets. The player with the most points wins. And uh, Team Deathmatch literally only had three modes. Quick quick Match, Marathon, which is the same thing. The player with the, with the team with the most kills wins. Shared Stock Match. Each team shares lives in one pool. The team that depletes the enemy's team's life pool wins Hmm. and then team objective had four quick match what we talked about marathon the team that captures the most in the end of each round wins killing override the first team to reach the capture limit or kill limit wins and then single ase all seeing eye there's only one ase the first team to reach it and capture it in the time limit wins so pretty basic i would say uh modes like i think you'd find these on every kind of like uh fps at this point it wasn't anything new the game also had rank ranks like you know competitive play lots Mm. of weapon sets that's actually the most impressive part i think of the game was the weapon sets um and it also had like um Seven multiplayer maps, which is a far cry from other RPS game, uh, FPS games at this time. Um, Modern Warfare 2 had 26 multiplayer maps. And I'm going to be honest with you. Some of the uh, Modern Warfare 2 uh, multiplayer maps are still considered some of the best design maps of all time. Uh, people I know that play the games always talk about some of the levels. They're always like, hey, remember scrap metal zone no no not about that but you know what i'm talking about you know like they'll just be like oh, you remember the fortress it's like oh no i don't play that game but thanks for letting me know um uh kill zone though they had about seven maps and later on they got free dlc maps this game did not get that sadly like the support just wasn't there for it i think uh in that aspect i think that's something that sega really did miss at the time would be like supplemental downloads you know like keep people engaged on the online aspect of it i think Killzone, which wasn't even that popular on ps3 multi uh multiplayer wise did a good job releasing more maps later on as free so i think they did that well um while we never got to play the conduit online do you think the online gameplay uh was a big selling feature for the wii and did you ever play any wii games online because i know I was able to, but I never did because it was such a headache. I mean, even with the Switch, it's a headache to, like, add a friend. Oh, you have dude. to, like, look up a number and all uh, that. And it's just, like, this game, they uh, don't make it easy. It's like, how does Xbox, P- 
even PlayStation and Steam on PC have it all down, and you're like still in like 2018, going, oh, hmm, friends codes. Oh, that's exactly what we need right now. It's terrible. Right. Yeah, I think Nintendo kind of like shot themselves in the foot here. They could have just made a real online thing. And let's be honest with you, I tried to play Smash Bros when they came out Brawl, and it was horrible online. It was like really bad, you know, like it was always laggy and I know my internet is pretty bad, but I feel like everyone complained about it at the time. But let's talk about music. Um, I usually don't like talking about music, but this game actually has kind of an interesting like promotion. Like they even had a promotion about the music, which is weird. But uh, the music for The Conduit was composed by Diego Stocco, a Italian artist who actually worked on TV and movies. Uh, some of the movies are like very low-budget movies. But for this game, Diego was uh, created unique instruments for the soundtrack. Some of them were some of them included the a megaphonic Rosen Roso drum and an electronic tambourine uh, coloration with controlled distortions. I don't know what that is. Distro drum and overdrive acoustic drum coupled with a resonant toy piano hmm. unorthodox cymbals hanging cymbals, oh, uh, cymbals. Pl- played uh, pl- played uh, with a wooden saw and a light controlled I don't even know what that is oscillator oh, like, okay. uh, connected through a vintage v- reverberation amplifier and a metal contrabass a bowed piano, a bowed piano, and a and bass strings mounted on a garage heater, <laughs> and uh, you know what? Like this actually got me interested. I'm like, oh, I actually want to see how these instruments work. Like, let me look at some research. Sega literally did not do like a whole like you know documentary on this. Like, oh, what instruments did this guy create? And like you know, do like a breakdown every week with each instrument. Instead, they mm. did this like really weird short clip they posted that he posted on his YouTube channel, which is weird. And it's basically just like music in the background with the Sega. Well, you could play it. And then high voltage software in the beginning. And then it's like just a soundtrack in the background with him screwing around with the instruments a little bit. It's called Shaping mm. the Soundtrack. And it's like you could have, like, see, he's kind of showing off the 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 uh, instruments how they work a little bit but not in detail it's like what is this it's like a microphone yeah we get it distro look at this what hmm uh, this is the weirdest dude And then the orthodox sim- symbols. Like, what? What is it? This is just like symbols. Like, like isn't this on a drum set? See, this is like what LCO is. They don't really tell you how they work, you know. Huh. That is a very weird video. That's what I'm saying. It's. That's basically it, really. Reminds um, me of saw. Mm. Yeah, it was strange. Um, outside of that, um, let me see here. Um, 
So what is your opinion on artists that try to create their own instruments to stand out from the crowd? Do you know any band or artist that you listened to that had tried something similar, making their own instruments? Um, yeah, no, I, I, I dig it when, uh, when artists do that. Um, I'm trying to think like top of my head, um, like maybe Damien Albarn with, uh, gorillas and blur. Like he does a lot of, I saw him in concert a few times and like, he really uses that, uh, that megaphone a lot mm. and it, it brings a really interesting feel to the lyrics because typically people want to have their voice sound super clear and to him it the megaphone almost brings like this level of distortion that I, I don't really know why he does it but it just it works really well like it's it's when he brings out the little megaphone you're like oh he's gonna sing this song you know or something like that mm. um i'm also thinking of uh maybe he doesn't make his own instruments but like um Gorenson, uh, who who did a lot of the music, Ludwig Gorenson, who does like the Mandalorian stuff, mm. like he'll dig up instruments you'd never really think to hear on a TV show. Very good, and music. and utilize them, and it it sounds great. So you know, I'm I'm all for it, and I I think it's cool what this guy did. I just think, as is the case with Sega in this era, they just did a really terrible job promoting it i mean yeah i don't like, know if we'll get to it but there was an unboxing so i did I was, not put it I on was, here but you can send me the you link didn't. if you and i could play it if you want to do a playback well no that. it's not a big deal but the, when i was like considering buying this game uh for the episode but just would have taken too long to receive it um i was like oh there's a special edition so i looked on youtube for an unboxing and i found one and i was like this is really shitty this is badly recorded and then i looked who uploaded it and it was sega themselves and i'm like oh uh -oh. <laughs> yeah not good um as for bands for me um when, when i was younger i went to like a concert not not specifically for that band but uh they were there so i was like i'm gonna wait in line i'm not, not waiting in line it was like I'll go to the sun because it's California in the summer, you know, you, I'm white, you know, like my skin's really white. So if I go out in the sun for five seconds, I'm like pretty much toasted. Right. And this band was supposed, I stayed out in the sun. I'm like, I'll stay out for this band. Cause they, they made their own instrument. That was their gimmick. It was like this metal band called motor grader. They're like a, like a slipknot ripoff band, but they had their own instrument, you know, instead of banging on trash cans or whatever. And then I literally listened to it for five minutes and I'm like, nope. And I turned around. I'm like, no, nah, this is not for me. Sorry. Um, I was never into new metal at the time. So I was like, I gave you guys a chance. Just hear people telling me that you made your own instruments. I didn't, I don't like the sound of it. Just garbage. Didn't like it. There's another band called author and punisher that came out. Maybe like I've listened to them last, like five, maybe three years ago, maybe less. And they make their own like weird metal, like, uh, like, I don't even know what to call it. It's like, you know, like just like levers, like they make levers and then like it's digitized. So whenever the lever goes up, it makes like a different distorted noise. And it kind of has like that metal feel, right? Like dun, dun, when you move it. So th that's th interesting. That's interesting. I found that to be in an interesting um, use of like a different type of instrument. That's pretty cool. So that guy's doing something. I mean, um, also, when Diego was done composing the soundtrack, uh, he would send the tracks to Rick Nielsen of punk band Cheap Trick fame to supply guitar riffs over the music. Rick is known to rock listeners for sporting, I'm not even kidding you, 
a guitar with five li- necks. Like it's one <laughs> guitar and it has five different guitars built into one guitar. It's ridiculous. It has like the buck, the humbuckles and everything. And it's like, do you think Sega should have made a more like literally a video of him just playing this re- ridiculous uh, guitar with five necks as a video online <laughs> so you could play different tracks of this soundtrack that he like did the the music for? Because like they didn't okay Cheap Tricks not the biggest rock band in the world or whatever like they're kind of like a I would say like a middling band like. I would say the, I don't know, the Ramones or Sex Pistols probably have more of a cult following than they do. But it is pretty impressive when you have somebody that's famous in the rock world and he has a five-neck guitar and you're not (laughs) using them to promote him in the the soundtrack. Come on. What is this? It's crazy, though. What do you think about five-neck guitar? You think we should, would you play a six-neck? Ten. Ten. A circle. (laughs) It's just like a sun? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that even playable? So you have to like move it around. Sounds like you a, come out of the middle of it. Yeah, like it's in like, a hole. You sound like a bayonetta boss. It's like <laughs> it's ten different forms. Every single one has a neck of a guitar. That would be sick. Um, advertisement, which actually kind of spanned longer than I thought it would be, because this game was actually pushed super hard. I was even going to do a section of games that came out in 2009, but I dropped it because we have enough to talk about already in the advertisement. So. Advertising for the condo was actually pretty massive with the team at High Voltage Software getting massive exposure on lots of publications like a series of articles on the engine from IGN, huge dedicated sections of magazines including Nintendo Power. 2008-2009 was the early life of online marketing. We didn't talk about uh, Mad World, uh, another one. Uh, we did talk about Mad World, another one of these Wii Mature titles that Sega had like a TV style show at the time with announcers telling you, it's like a fake show telling you about the world of Mad World. Right. Which we thought was kind of interesting. The Conduit had its own site called Scene, minus sign, is, minus sign, deceiving.com which sadly is dead and unable to be reached because it was an Adobe Flash site. And uh, you know how that works with uh, archive.com. So, mm-hmm. but the basic premise of the site was that the site would, uh, would basically have like alien drudge alphabet messages on the site and you would translate, if you translate it into the text uh, it, correctly to, into English, you would get wallpapers, icons, gameplay video, audio, developer interviews and conspiracy style articles um (laughs) while online marketing is very important for games uh do you think content like this uh, on a website was better a better course of action for sega like hiding it between somebody that already played the game like who would know how to translate this without owning the game so how's that yeah it was a thing at the time though um cloverfield did it Uh, i'm trying to think the strange case of beta remember that the um the, oh, the Beta 7, uh, like, weird, like, th- like there was a leaker that people were getting hurt testing Sega games or something like that? Yeah, so, I mean, this was a thing. It's just, it it didn't seem to take off with the conduit. But it was, I, I guess, like a fun little Easter egg for, for people and nothing more. But, um... Yeah, like, it, yeah. this is one thing I've noticed about this is, like, the... The advertisement is like almost aimed at people that bought the game, which is like the strangest type of marketing. But uh, what do you think of these mid 
2000s websites that try to be more interactive instead of like here's what <laughs> what's new with the game straight up style marketing we have now because like now sega would be like here's the yakuza trailer all right here's the yakuza gameplay you know yeah on one hand i i get that it makes more sense to just visit the site and have it say trailer screenshots by now but at the same time i do miss that sort of like you know like let's say the new sonic game coming out instead of just being like trailer screenshots by now it's more like a, a little like 2.5d environment that you're exploring and you're like clicking on things and it becomes its own little game in and of itself like i think that would be fun and i kind of miss that sort of style where you're like oh there was this horror movie and when you visit the website it's actually an in-universe website for the police department and you like click around and learn about the characters within the universe you know like they don't yeah. they just don't do that anymore and it's a shame i mean it's just like with the uh, i think dvd menus too at the time were really creative and now it's just like whatever a template you yeah. know <laughs> movies just start playing yeah it's a shame uh, yeah i would agree with you on that um i I do I do enjoy it in some aspect because there was some like creativity to it. I think there's still some people that are doing it. Like I remember uh, just right like not that long ago, the Batman uh, they released a poster with that one that has a Catwoman and him in the sunset. People were saying that if you put a black light to it, there's like a uh, hidden messages on it. So there's like oh even, that's cool. So it's like it said I think it says something like the Wayne he's the Wayne family's responsible or something on it. But yeah, that's cool. <laughs> it's like. And it's funny because I think the like things that have a mysterious character, maybe like I don't know, Sonic Forces, who had a mysterious character, would have been cool to have some sort of weird like follow the trails. Who really is uh, Infinite or whatever his name was at the 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 Sonic Mania uh, box set edition that had the uh, digital copy of the game had that card, that metal card, mm. um, and it said "Fun is Infinite" on it. Remember that? Like, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was that was I think that was Aaron Weber's doing though. He's, oh yeah, he did that stuff. In September 18, thousand eight, uh, High Voltage Software announced they had a contest for fans to submit user created control schemes configurations for the uh, the conduit. On January fifteenth, two thousand nine, lead designer for the conduit Rob Nicola, Nicholas Nicholas Nick whatever announced three users. Uh, <laughs> Uh, the three users that submitted their control schemes in a video on the conduit. Uh, I could not find the video or we would have played it, but uh, uh, Sega did not give any prizes though for this. Like literally the only thing you got was uh, you were your control schemes in the game and you would get a shout out on the video that I cannot find anymore. So like cool contest. I'm surprised at how cheap Sega was with some of these contests. I'm like, oh, you guys didn't have like a replica of the all c9 <laughs> to give to these people or something for like uh right for you know working on control schemes for you to make your game better all right cool cheap but whatever uh what are your thoughts on this type of contest like they're literally designed the game for you that's what we're doing here yeah right? i never like those contests where they're like do our work for us i still see it a lot now where it's like um design uh cover a poster for our upcoming movie and if you win we'll share it on social media it's like, cool. it's like, oh, cool. Why don't you pay me? <laughs> you know, exactly to do your work. Or, or, or I saw one today. It was give like, you some uh, promo shit. You know what I mean? It was like diamond studded Sonic things, and it's like, who do you do you want to show this off in a video and do an unboxing? Let us know. But it was like 
it was more just like we don't know what sonic influencers are out there so if you're out there make a video pleading to share our product and i saw some videos from some well-known sonic youtubers and it's cr so cringy because they're like look at all the things i own like it's if i made one i'm like look what i own give Let me more me stuff. do it give me more stuff like, i know about stuff no, I, I have I have some dignity, a little bit, right? Exactly. A <laughs> just little a little bit. I was just say same thing. Um, you know what? I you know they could have gave out promo stuff for this. I think that would have been uh, fine if you don't want to spend money. Obviously, uh, I, personally, I'm with you. I don't like when they do this. I know that uh, Beyond Good and Evil Two wanted people to do concept art for them, like for free, and it was like t they they made it like a big feature where like. Oh, this game is going to be user user created. I'm like, literally, you mean free art from people on the internet that do all the work, and you you just credit them for exposure. Mm. Very very mm -hmm. not good, especially when the video game industry is making so much money. You know, um, <clears throat> Sega had another contest. Uh, I, I put it was much better, but to be honest with you, I don't really think so. Um, with AcidPlanet.com, which now is got completely rebranded and i think they sell like music uh instrumentals and stuff like soft for software uh they mm. held a remix contest where uh they provided remixers with 66 individual instrumental tracks and allowed them to remix it and upload it on acid planet sadly not only uh not really sure what the actual winners got in the contest uh, but IGN said that the winner will receive merchandise from Sony Creative Software, Sega, and High Voltage Software, uh, hmm. with your song appearing on, as a bonus on the game's soundtrack. It's funny, though, because uh, Sega put a lot of effort into marketing the soundtrack, I guess, with doing this contest and all this other stuff, you know, having an actual rock legend on it. Um, but they never really released... It was actually kind of short. I, if YouTube's soundtrack is to uh be you know if it's correct the the track listing it's actually a really short soundtrack and it never got a physical version of the soundtrack <laughs> so it's like oh so you put my game on a bonus for something that doesn't exist right um, right yeah very strange uh when you heard of the conduit how much uh uh when you heard about you know the media and gamers talking about it how much was it revolved around the soundtrack because i've never heard no anyone talk about nothing it. at all nope Nothing. Nothing. Okay. Yeah. Do you think uh, remix contest with Sony was a good focus to sell the game? Nope. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it clearly didn't work. Yeah. Exactly. And we have a. Uh... <laughs> okay. This one's a weird one too. Like comic books? Yes. Everyone says. Well. Yeah. The the conduit actually got a comic book tie-in called the Conduit Orange Lights, written by uh, written by. Uh, Pat Dolan, I never heard of him. Um, he basically, I don't know, man. It, it's it's hard to like say anything about this thing because like it literally takes. So the comic takes place three weeks after the events of the first game, which I mean, let's be honest, that's kind of weird. The art's fine, I guess, um, but it's aimed more at people that actually bought the game. It, the, the PDF's actually given away for free on Amazon, so anybody could read it. Um, if you Google it, uh, it's called The Conduit Orange Lights comic. Uh, you'll get the PDF right away, and anybody could look at it and gander on it after they beat the game. It takes place three weeks after, following a conspiracy radio host trying to delete footage of what happened in the game. 
but in my thing is like, how is this going to sell a game? You're, you know what I mean? Shouldn't it be a prequel right. instead of a, uh, like to entice gamers to come in? But, um, has there ever been like a piece of like promotional material, like a comic book or an actual no- novel that was like a prequel or a, a tie-in to a movie or a video game that was bigger that actually got you into the franchise? Um, I can't think of anything, but I definitely know of promotional comics that I would seek out after the fact. Mm-hmm. Um, like I remember movie? the X-Men, mm-hmm. uh, the X-Men movies. There were a trilogy of prequel comics, um, Magneto, Sabretooth, and uh, Rouge, I think. And they were really good. I remember, actually, the Magneto one has elements that appeared later uh, in X-Men First Class. And the uh, Sabretooth one actually showed uh, that he he knew who Wolverine was, and it actually kind of has elements from the uh, X-Men Origins Wolverine, so that was kind of cool. But, like, yeah, but all that's prequel material. Or in the case of uh, the MonsterVerse stuff with Kong and Godzilla, they did, like, trade paperbacks every movie, but it would be, like, connecting the two movies, you know, like, again, like Mm -hmm. a prequel. Here, though, it makes absolutely (laughs) no sense to be, like, I've just flipped through the comic just now and having not really played the game. You're like, what is this? I'm lost. Yeah. I don't know what it is. And the artwork's not that, I mean, it's fine. It's fine. It's free. You know, it's like what it is. You know, when you buy those like Shinobi tie-in comic books that Sega used to make too, like they're just what it is, you know, just cheap art, you know, it's not going to be like X-Men quality. But uh, for me, um, when I was, when the first Star Wars movie came out, some guy was like, Read Darth Maul, uh, Shadow Hunter, uh, the oh, novel. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. And I was like, all right. And I read it, and I was like, wow, Darth Maul is a badass man. And then, like, in the movie, he wasn't really in it. But the book was good. So that got me into Star Wars, the episode one, and, like, got me – and I actually watched episode two, day one. So mm-hmm. it did its job. I really liked the book, though, and I was—I mean, I, I would say a little disappointed that it didn't have that type of characterization. But then again, it's—it's it's easier to do that in a novel than it is in like a uh, like a movie. You know what I mean? Like they get to do more right. when what's in their head. You—it's hard to do that on film. So, well, the conduit was hyped up massively to be Nintendo's FPS game of choice. I don't think I don't think today a lot of gamers. I think a lot of gamers today could probably name a few other FPS they liked more. Doesn't mean that at the time it didn't uh, didn't do well with some critics. For example, Game Informer gave the game a seven out of ten. Nintendo Power gave it an eight out of ten, and the highest review came from IGN at an eight point six out of ten. But it never wow. reached that nine at you know nine and up status that like Halo got at the time. IGN praised the game because according to them, it has the tightest, most comfortable control scheme <laughs> of any console-based first-person shooter to date, and felt the and they found the plot to be engrossing. I also think the fact that uh, it was one of the few Nintendo games with real online multiplayer also helped. Um, February 2010, a little under under a year after the release, the CEO of High Voltage confirmed with IGN that the conduits uh, had just sold just over 350,000 units. 
The company defended the numbers, suggesting all video game sales were down in 2009. Regardless of this, Sega still greenlit Conduit 2, which we might do an episode about in the future. But uh, do you think 350,000 units is a little bit for a game that was like probably hyped the most game? Like it was literally hyped more than any game I think Sega had at that time. Like I don't think even like... uh, the House of the Dead uh, Overkill. I actually know they got a pretty good promotion. Um, I would say like Yakuza Three and stuff. Like it just went under the radar, kind of promotion wise. Yeah. Yeah. I don't... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I I don't know what the budget of the game is. It must be like two bucks if that they consider three hundred fifty thousand dollars a success with like all the hype the game got. I feel like the game's known more for the hype than it is actually known for being a game, but. So let's talk about, oh man, how do you, um, let's talk about uh, Conduit HD. I know people talked about them doing another, or uh, porting the game over, but uh, it kind of did get a port. Well, since the release of Conduit 2 in 2010, the brand was basically dead until 13 years later in March 14, 2013, when the Conduit HD was released for Android. Initially running on devices running NVIDIA's Tegra chipset, uh, the port actually got a critically acclaimed. The port was done by uh, was not done by High Voltage Studio, but Wardrum Studios, the guys that did GTA Vice City. The Conduit HD is pretty intact, but is also missing multiplayer, so you'll never play multiplayer basically anymore. Because it's gone forever, unless they do an HD port with it intact. Uh, for consoles, which I don't think so. But oddly enough, it seems that the Conduit HD, HD came and went overall because uh, it's not on the Play Store anymore. And I haven't seen any articles talking about it being removed. Hmm. But I do have a uh, the page right here. You can see it. Uh, it's on archives. You can see that it existed, guys. Everybody, I'm not lying. It existed. I have it right here. <laughs> Um, and it has at this point in this uh, what is it 2013 it had 7,531 reviews at a three four and four out of five I noticed that a lot of these like or is 3.8 out of uh, five but I've noticed a lot of people complaining it's kind of hard when you Android has so many phones you know and it especially early on in Android you would buy a phone and then you would play a game and it's like this one doesn't work on your phone sorry um right and people get mad and they would downvote it like i paid 20 bucks for this game um it was five dollars when it came out you could play the first two levels for free um that's basically all i know about it um i never played this one i didn't even know it existed do you know that the there was a mobile port of this game I, I did not, and like I was saying earlier, like with Jet Set Radio HD and stuff, like Sega would, Sega and other companies would do these games, and they'd play for a few years, and then they'd just quietly disappear from the store. Like, is is Jack Lumber still up there? I don't know. <laughs> you know I don't know either. No, is probably it still not. playable? I don't know. You know, it's it's strange. Or the uh, Propeller Head guy, remember that one? Whatever oh, yeah. that was. Yeah. So... Uh- you know, it's it seems like there's they're a lot less precious with mobile. I, know, I, I will with... I will say this was published by High Voltage Software Inc. So it makes me think that maybe they own. I mean, they own their assets and they own their game and their engine and stuff. And Sega was just publishing it on the Wii. Uh, I don't know what their deal is. Maybe they 
they do own everything. Maybe Sega has some ownership on console ports. Who knows at this point? Um, hmm. It hasn't been, you know, revealed. But I do have another thing I want to talk about. The cover of the game. What's up with this cover, dude? Tell me about this cover. As a game designer, what what does this invoke in your head? Like, it's the weirdest, like, most 90 cover in the world. Like, he's wearing these, like, glasses that someone, like, I don't know who would wear these glasses. Like, it's what a little kid thinks the future looks like. You know what I mean? Like, the glasses, uh, the weird blue lights everywhere. It's it's the strangest cover I've ever seen. It's a pretty cheesy cover. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you got the 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 monument in the back there so you know you're in dc and i mean i guess it conveys everything that the game contains it has the the enemies down there he's got his little floaty thingy the we speak icon oh yeah, yeah uh, we need that <laughs> his gun. but then you go the other direction and there's the special edition release that is just straight up the all-seeing eye icon and it's like a silver that was pretty cool i thought uh, I thought that looks all right, and that one's just almost just as cheap as the game itself. Uh, so I oh. mean, I don't know. yeah, it's it's pretty weak cover art. It kind of reminds me of um, uh, what's that one? The um, oh man, the 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 book with Tom Hanks, the movie Tom Hanks running around. Uh, uh, Ready Player One? No, I don't know. No. What you're talking about. I don't um, know. God damn it. Tom, dude, I don't watch Tom Hanks movies, man. Well, I watch Toy Story, obviously. Are you talking about Toy Story? The Da Vinci, da Vinci oh, Code. It reminds yeah, me yeah, of Da yeah. Vinci Code. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah the yeah. Christian. Oh, is it Christian? I don't know. It's like Christian conspiracy stuff or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or mm-hmm. Catholic. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that's what the special edition cover looks like to me. Um, the conduit, the, the, the character on the front kind of reminds me of like Kid Chameleon if he was all grown up in the future. Because of the glasses yeah. and stuff. It's that level of cheesy. That's what it reminded me of when I first saw it. I don't know. Like, it's kind of hard to, like, market it this when it's, like, the dude is, like... Usually in these FPS games, they're wearing, like, this sick helmet that covers their whole face. Like, you know, like, Metroid or, like, um, Halo or, like, um, Killzone. And even, like, um, the people in the army of the, the stupid... Um, Call of Duty, like some of them will have like a skull mask or whatever to make themselves look really cool. This one's like just right. give them give them some cool shades that are blue that color <laughs> matching his gun. It's like all right, dude. Yeah, pretty weak. But yeah, that's I think that's all we, I have for this episode. In the notes, you uh, have anything to add about Duke Conduit? <sighs> no. <laughs> <laughs> but guess who does have something to add? Our patreon supporters if you support us on patreon at any level you can have your memories read by me typically at the end of the show so we have uh we have two here we have a newcomer we have uh dr scottnick uh who i believe pops up on uh, some of the live shows so yeah. uh, hello there um and he has to say a lot of people grew up playing halo as their sci-fi fps for me it was the conduit a game i hold so close to my heart i found in the alien design so incredibly cool with the all seeing eye being a super
fun mechanic to mix it up with gameplay and some puzzle elements. And don't get me wrong on the online, this along with Mario Kart Wii were my most played online titles on the system and it was an absolute blast. I wish I could go back to when the Wii servers were online and play it all over again. Genuinely would be over the moon for a Conduit 3 on Switch. Wow, we found like the world's largest Conduit fan. That's amazing. Um, Alex Hugh says, I remember buying this back in 2014. I don't remember exactly how far I got, but I do wish they could port or remaster it for PC or current consoles. Look at that, you know, like Conduit fans represent. Here we go. Just do a double pack, you know, one and two. I mean, at this point, high voltage. I mean, I didn't talk about their faith or anything, but they got bought out by a company, whatever, from, from Ireland. I don't know. Oh, good for them. Um, that's the end of this episode. Uh, you want to tease what we're going to do next episode? Oh, boy. Next time, we are going to stick to Nintendo consoles. In fact, uh, we're going to be moving over to the Wii U and talking about Sonic, Boom, Rise of Lyric, another game that has a online multiplayer mode that, uh, in my opinion, is actually better than the base game itself. So mm-hmm. um, join us, won't you? Bye. Boom.